and welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Stephen Lagos, is a master jeweler who launched his own branded business in 1977 at the ripe age of 19. Stephen first became interested in jewelry making when he realized at a young age that jewelry is the most personal possession of art one can own, and his designs capture it. Stephen Lagos was incredibly self-taught as he followed his passion, inspired by travel, different cultures, and their art. He was also inspired by what he would consider a fierce female, which led to his mantra, My Lagos, My Way, encouraging women to express their personal style. Stephen continues to innovate today with his trademark mixing of precious metals and his unmistakable signature caviar beading that is Lagos. His caviar is on my wrist and he is in my heart. Welcome, Stephen Lagos. It's so fun to be here. I wanted to have you on the podcast because, Stephen... I just think your story is so dynamic. As an entrepreneur, you're somebody that I've looked up to. Not only that, but I love your jewelry and designs. So I wanted to have you on the podcast because I think your story is so encouraging to people out there that want to start their own thing and want to do their own thing. So I just want to kind of go back and and start at the beginning it was 1977, <laughs> and Stephen Lagos was about 19 years old. And I know you st- you were a designer and you were artistic, and you can get into that. And you were really looking for something to do. And you're a self-taught craftsman and artist, so I want to just start by saying that. So tell everybody how it began for you. Well, the 70s were definitely a, a decade unto itself. You know, there was a whole movement going on. We were coming out of the 60s, the Woodstock scene, the whole craft scene. Academics were important, and there was a whole college activists, and there was a lot going on that way. But there was also a huge craft movement, and it was a lot of people really thinking about working with their hands, doing um, doing things differently. The vocation back then was seen differently. It was the last generation of people that actually, I think, focused on vocation. Or there was a group that had a focus on vocation. And that goes all the way from people who, you know, went to fashion school and learned how to make clothes to people who, you know, the craft, the craft, the idea of craft goes a very long way. This was, uh, you know, the tail end of kind of manufacturing in the U.S. was happening then. So there were people doing things back then. Yeah, so I became fascinated. I was looking for something to uh, to do that was artistic. As a child of the '60s and '70s, you know, like the mechanics of things and the way things worked were interesting for me. So I always worked with my hands. I was always doing things. Jewelry was such a natural fit for me, and I tried my hand at a million different things. But it just like I started doing it, and I just never stopped. From photography and art and you dabbled in things like that, but it was really like, I think a leather bracelet you said made of shells, right? That was like, this is what I I need to do. Tell us a little bit about that, how it hit you and you knew it. I I remember, um, I think it was third or fourth grade. I like went to this class and we were making these leather bracelets and I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I made them and I gave them to people that I liked. And I just remembered how much connection there was with that transaction it was such a different kind of a thing yeah than you know giving them a picture you drew or 
uh, other artistic mediums. There was something about jewelry that was so personal and people, they, they cherished it. It was like crazy, you know, and yes. in third or fourth grade, I experienced this and it n- never really left my mind. I wasn't thinking about being a jeweler. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was also growing up at a time, you know, we're, we're in a time now, it's so interesting. And you know this, the whole idea of like making a product and being associated with design and art, yeah. it's really become very, and back then it was not that way. There was no designers. There was no celebrities the way yeah. we have today. There were no yeah. celebrity designers for sure. When I was in, again, that third, fourth, fifth grade, Calvin Klein started making blue jeans and putting his names on them. And it was the first time people like saw, thought like, oh, I can have like designer clothes. And it was, <laughs> you know, jeans and they were $40. At the time, you could buy jeans for $8. So it was a super premium. Yeah, People could afford it. And it was super intriguing to me to think like, wait a minute, this is a guy who makes a product that now, and it, it kind of blurred the line between branding and yes. art. Back then, nobody had a brand. Today, everybody has a personal brand. As you're speaking to me, I have all these visuals and pictures of the time it was and even my own journey as an artist and creator and how inspired I was by that. And it's, it is so commercial now, you know what I mean? And people like you stand out though, because the craft that you can find is still there. And I love that you were inspired by the Calvin Klein ad. I remember that. It was basically the time that you figured out that you could develop a consumer facing brand with jewelry. And you were really a pioneer in that. You were like... I can take my inspiration that comes from, and we'll get into some of your inspiration and travel, but let's just go right back to the leather and the shells, right? I crafted something. I gave it to someone. It had an emotional impact on them. You also once said to me, your jewelry is the only art that you can wear. And jewelry became like art that you could wear. I remember the first time we met, you told me that, and it really resonated in me because it's kind of obvious, but it's not so obvious, you know? So you have that moment and then you're watching Calvin Klein brand jeans and you have an entrepreneurial epiphany at 19 years old, the ripe old age of 19 years old. And you put down your peace sign and you said, I'm going to start a business. <laughs> and it's like I started a business making peace signs. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was like the beginning. And now I think at the, the beginning, I was making some Grateful Dead jewelry too. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It was just fun, you know, like discovering this whole thing. I do art also, you know, I mean, for myself, but I do other kinds of art. Rarely do you get the same connection with with your art where people just nine out of 10 people love it, where, you know, jewelry just, it seems like it's magical. You know, people love jewelry. I think it's just becomes, it's just such an honor actually to even be in this as a business. You know, I've learned so much about it over it's 45 years. I mean, it seems like staggering to even say, and just been through, you know, the whole evolution. You were talking about how different it was back then. Mm -hmm. There was no branded jewelry. Cartier at the time was not owned by Richemont. It was uh, a licensing company. And they had licensed out, they had their New York store and a few jewelry stores, but they licensed out their watches and all of their other products. And you could buy a Cartier watch in like a, a Walgreens. I mean, it was like so down market in the early 70s. People realized these things had tremendous uh, design and brand and 
and you know, these, and then started developing it. And I yes. got to watch all of that happen around me at the yeah. time. People in my group were doing the craft shows and they were trying to get in with stores. I was focused on um, really the high end of jewelry. I was really trying to become a master jeweler. I was trying to make super high end things and approach it from the top down. And with probably not the right amount of experience, but I had a lot of ambition. Oh, that's the school of hard knocks, Stephen. That's the best one. (laughs) I mean, you are. I got my PhD from there. Yes, exactly. Me too. Me too, honey. Well, I can you, I mean, it's that time was so, I mean, these are the days of Halston. This was you guys when American design was really being born and Steven, you know, I can you up with Elsa Peretti and real designers and craftspeople that brought art into jewelry. And that's what you did. And that, that, that in itself was incredible. So you started off when the, the time was ripe and you had the intuition and the forethought to see into being a designer jewelry brand and off you went. And the other thing I, I, I think that's really exciting about the time that you came up and the time that you uh, birthed, you know, the Stephen Lagos brand was, it was the 1970s, right? And women's empowerment was just starting. And I know, and I never asked you this, but it had to be so impactful on you because you really designed jewelry for women. And I know that you were really in the nineties, you really started to understand a shift where women started buying fine jewelry for themselves. Can you talk about the women's movement and how that inspired you to be a designer for us? (laughs) It's very funny because, um, my mom was like a super strong lady, graduated from college in the 40s um, with a business degree, you know, worked side by side with my father. He was in the dry cleaning business of all businesses, but she was such a rock and such a strong person. And growing up with her in the early 60s, you know, and looking up to her. And when the women's lib movement started, I almost didn't get it at first. Because my mom was so strong and mm-hmm. such a strong person. I thought, like, I, I'm missing something here. So it was very interesting. You know, I've always had a very strong view of female empowerment naturally. It's not, not something I had to learn. But you didn't hear. You that, didn't need to hear us roar. You already saw us. Oh, no, no. I saw her. I mean, again, she was. <laughs> and, and she right. did it, like, without you even knowing she was doing it. She just commanded it all. You know, it was nice. That's beautiful. Where it really came to me, I started making jewelry and I was making women's jewelry. I was really focused on the craft of it. And when we uh, started working with Neiman Marcus, we started making the caviar collection, which was... uh, That's how I found you. That's my... I I mean, now it's in every single thing you do, but go ahead, take it away. (laughs) I'm a big fan. Before that, I was making fine jewelry, though. I was making 18 karat gold. Everything was diamonds and calibre setting and French technique and very fine jewelry. I wanted to be like, you know, I looked at the great jewelers and said, I want to make what they're making. I want to know what makes that special. And so I learned to do that. The breakthrough for us was we started making silver and gold jewelry. The way the trend came about was, um, and again, this is things people don't know, but in their late 70s, early 80s, ready-to-wear was happening. Yeah. Ready-to-wear kind of didn't exist before that, the way it exists today. Now it's so taken for granted, it's gone out of fast fashion. But ready-to-wear Disposable was, fashion. 
Yeah, ready to wear was sort of like the fast fashion of its time. It was something new, and you could yeah. go into the store and find things on the rack, and it was this whole different way of shopping. And the price point was not designer price point, and it wasn't. It was in that that sweet spot. And uh, the people actually at Neiman Marcus recognized that there was nothing in jewelry that fit this zone, and they right. came to me and asked me as a, a group of us to try and create product that fit into this ready-wear idea for jewelry. And so that's how Caviar was born. It was a silver and gold. It was a new price point. It was very different. Most of the people they went to to make it came at it from a craft side, and I came at it from a fine jewelry side. So I essentially was making fine jewelry in silver and gold. So I was in Neiman Marcus doing a trunk show, and I had my old Caviar collection there. And prior to that, collection, women were buying, you know, 15% of the jewelry in America for themselves, 20%. And what happened was, is that there was this, uh, a woman came up to me and she had bought five or six pieces of the silver and gold, the caviar collection, spent, you know, a fair amount of money. And I thought, this woman is, I want to share my gold jewelry. And so I took my gold jewelry out and I said, look, I also make gold jewelry. And she looked and she said, this is beautiful. And she said, you know, my husband buys my gold jewelry. And it was very interesting the way she said it. Yeah. And I realized that we were cracking into, we were cracking into this new consciousness that wasn't there before, that women didn't buy their own jewelry. Maybe they buy like a Monet costume jewelry thing. But right. this was real jewelry. That was the very beginning of this thing. This was in 1983 or 1984. That is just so incredible to me. So the shift was, is like she could afford the sterling with her stipend, but she had to ask the husband for the gold. It was super interesting. This woman had had dresses and shoes. I mean, she had obviously just spent more money than even the gold jewelry was going to cost her. Mm -hmm. There was just some stigma about like buying your own jewelry. We were cracking that stigma the silver and gold, it was to her, it was like, well, this isn't gold jewelry. This is ready to wear. And it, we kind of broke through. And that was the end. But when she said it to me, it just like, I remember it. I'm talking about it 35 years later. You know, yes. it was so impactful. That impactful to me today when you tell it. It's just, it yeah. really is a sign of the times and a shift. And it's impactful to me as, as a woman too, because I mean, I also had a strong mother and I didn't feel until I got into business. That's when things really changed for me. When I understood the dynamic, I saw it all around me. Once I got out in the real world, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just saying that I had a strong figure. So to me, it wasn't as native where some people maybe grew up in a house with very weak. Yeah, but then you saw it unfolding right before your eyes. And it's so right. incredible that you were there for us. The other thing that I like today about the fact that that was one of your signatures is mixing those precious metals is that you have something for everyone, Stephen. And we're going to get into that, but you really do. You're so, I mean, the pieces that I have of yours, like they are going to be my daughter's pieces, right? So you have things that are so classic that will be really passed down from generation that I wear every single day so that she will know that when I'm long gone, that that was the bracelet mommy wore every day. And, you know, that that's really to me important, but there's also bracelets that I have 
that I would almost even let Ella wear. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you have price points that are approachable, mixing the metals, you make your designs approachable to everybody. And I think that that's a real modern shift compared to what you were doing then. And even though gold is really so important as a fine master jeweler and what you do in the gold, I want everybody to have your gold, but you don't forget that everybody has their first purchase. And we're going to get into some of the ideas that you have for my listeners about that first purchase purchase and how important it is. But I want to talk more about your entrepreneur side for a second before we get into that. So we're going to talk about the crafting of caviar because I love that part. So you're in this time, you are understanding and tapping into what women need and what we're looking for, and you're there to give it. And your business is working for you and things are going well. But entrepreneurs, we all have our stories of our skin knees. And I want to talk about yours because there were, there were hiccups. There were bumps in the road. It wasn't smooth sailing. Talk about some of the challenges you had in creating the brand that you have, the amazing brand you have today. Well, there were lots and lots of challenges. And I think one of the things all of us know that have some success in our lives, that it comes at the expense of these challenges. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have traded any of them. And some of them at the time were earth shattering. But looking back on them, I wouldn't change a thing. It was never a health issue or no one ever got hurt. It wasn't right. ever anything like that. It was nothing everlasting. It was much more of um, a maturation process. It happens throughout careers. You were, we're in a very um, romantic and seductive business. And it's seductive because of what you just said. You know, you said something very interesting. People cherish their jewelry. Mm-hmm. And so when... You make a piece of jewelry and someone owns it, and then they gush about the piece of jewelry, sort of like, wow, I do this. I make this thing. It's that great. Well, the reality is, is that we make a very nice product and we're super proud of it. But what's beautiful about it is the passion that you have for it and the thought that your daughter will have it. It's not anything I did. You know, you took it and made it your own. You took it and made it your what what you needed it to be and what you wanted it to be for it, it's in its meaning, who gave it to you, how you acquired it, who you're going to give it to, when you like to wear it. You know, I always say people wear our product on their skin, right? Like yeah. that's how close it is. We're on your skin. Where people put us through their ears, you know, we're yeah. like intimate with people. That whole part of it is what really drives a lot of people to go off the rails. You tap in. Yes, exactly. They start to believe, you know, I mean, it's not a different, you think hubris, right? Is the term. And hubris is when you just start to really believe that you're above and beyond the competition or you don't need any more advice. So again, I think we all know what it means and we see it in all fields, right? We see it in the, the Wall Street bankers that get in over their heads. We see it with celebrities. We see it with athletes. It's a natural thing. And in fact, the people that can manage that, right? How many musical artists do we see that go off the rails yeah. as young people? And the ones that really can be older and still doing their thing are the ones that have had those scrapes and figured it out. That's right. They, they didn't avoid it. Think about how rough and tumble somebody like Sinatra's line was, right? And then Elvis, on the other hand, couldn't pull it off. There's a huge amount of reflection it takes to keep driving yourself to do better and better. And, you know, you're in the same position. You've had a 
unbelievable career and you're just constantly looking for that next thing to right to like fill you up right yeah the other i guess the other way to describe it it could be that thing that we have to deal with as human beings that's ever present is that ego you know it's that ego and you you want it all like that that's me as a visionary too i think that's a hard a hard thing for visionaries like us to control is that you see it all you want it all but one of the biggest mistakes that you made became one of your biggest lessons and that was trying to do too much as we say right and right. and you have a tip that you give business people what is it keep the main what is it what do you say keep the main thing the, oh, keep your main thing your main thing the main thing you got well this was actually chris cullen brought this to the conversation it's keep the main we got to keep the main thing the main thing yeah and it's so easy you know again we're in a fashion business we're in a exciting business we're in a creative business it's so easy to be overstimulated and over creative and that's not really how it works you have to be focused you have to be dedicated you talk about the caviar you know we can talk about that that's a perfect example when i started in the business i was trying to discover my style i was super prolific and i made all kinds of things i imitated bulgari and cartier and not copied them but looked at what their style was and experimented, trying to find my voice for what I was doing. Yeah. It was so much fun because you're constantly doing new things. And that exploration is fun. You know, I yeah. think it's, it's a part of being young when you can do that. But then all of a sudden, it's, and any artist who's working uh, at some point in their career has to say, has to like pull it in and say, this is what I'm doing. Right. Right. And so I always say, if you go into a museum and you see a Monet or a uh, Van Gogh, you know it is. You don't have to read the name. You can see. And if it's not, it's a copy of it. But they created a style and then they stuck with it. And that's how they made their mark. And that's no different with brands. I think. Beautiful analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Has a real recognizable style. Totally. it, It doesn't matter. There's a zillion paintings that are unbelievably beautiful. There's so much jewelry that's incredible. But all those other paintings aren't Van Gogh. All that other jewelry isn't like us. And so how, how, how do you differentiate? And this was another lesson, you know, really focusing in on that and being super focused, keeping the main thing the main thing, making it where it's recognizable. There's so many beautiful things out there. It, then you have to explore within your... And again, you see musicians who do it or artists who do it. Yeah. And they go through periods, you know? I That's mean, right. Working, it's a body of work. We're, we're 13,000 designs into this, this journey. Amazing. I love that you know that number. That's incredible. See, that's his business acumen showing. (laughs) His artistic value is how many designs he's made and his business acumen is knowing exactly how many (laughs) designs he's made and what sells and what doesn't. And you, the customer, you know, you do vote for us as, as artists and business people, right? You have to trial and error. You have to put out the bad album, you know, but maybe it was your best album. It was your favorite one and you did it for you as an artist, but maybe it wasn't the ones the fans love the best. We have to have those as creative people. We're never going to be a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. That's just, that's just not life. It, it's such a journey. If you, you know, it's so fun. The highs are high because the lows are low. Otherwise yeah. it's nothing. Right. And, Keith Richards like has had the ultimate line, right? He said, 
you know, if you think about it, your heartbeat goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. And when it goes straight, you're dead. (laughs) Exactly. If everything was perfect all the time and you didn't have challenges, you'd basically be pretty numb at that point. I think that the challenges are what makes you better. I think it keeps you young and learning. You know, that that's really what it's about. Sometimes small actions we incorporate into everyday life can have a really positive impact, like a tall glass of water in the morning to start your body and your day off right. And when it comes to caring for your hair, a little goes a long way. No matter what your hair needs, volume, shine, or hydration, waist shampoos and conditioners are made to give your strands exactly what they want, helping with multiple hair concerns and getting you on your way to good hair days every single day. What I like most about whey products, they're designed for my hair's needs. I have a lot of hair. It's fine and wavy and weighs fine hair shampoo and conditioner combo. Leave my hair feeling super clean, light, full, and protected with shine that's clear of flyaways. Nourish your hair every day and keep it looking its best with shampoo and conditioner from whey. You can take their hair quiz to find out the way that works for you. Whether you're fine, medium, or thick, Way is just your type. And once you find your favorite, stock up and save with 32-ounce refill pouches of their most loved shampoos and conditioners. Get on your way to healthier hair one day at a time with shampoos and conditioners that are just your type. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use the code in my heart for 15% off your entire purchase. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com code in my heart. Now back to my show. I want to go back to when you wanted it all and you were in the moment of your artistic prowess and you were like, your ego was hitting and everything was going and you wanted to do watches and you wanted to break out into other places. Right? So you did watches and watches for you wasn't the right move, but then it became the right move. So because you made the error in trying to do watches, you made a beautiful mistake in creating watch bands. So you stayed true to you, even though a a beautiful watch face is probably very true to Stephen Lagos. I would probably think you could design an amazing watch face, but what you decided was your caviar was really what you needed to do. And so you created the watch band. So that's a pivot. That's a shift. That's making lemons, lemonade with lemons. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you learned to do that a lot in 45 years. Anybody who's doing anything creative has to be able to like do it and do it and do it and do it and have it be good and have it be really bad and have it be a mistake and then do it again and do it again. And I think that it's that persistence that I think everybody has in common. I don't care who you are. Because again, it's so easy to, once you're successful, it's so easy to like not do it anymore. Well, exactly. I always say it's only a mistake if you make it twice. The first time it's a lesson. So it's fail, learn, evolve, succeed, fail, learn, evolve, succeed. It's methodical, quite frankly. There are ups and downs. You know, there's always going to be problems. Bill Gates missed the Internet. You know what I mean? He missed the Internet. And then he came back and said, "Okay, I'm going to go do the next thing. And now he's again back to be Microsoft's back to being the the t- 10,000 pound gorilla. If you don't have failures, you're not doing anything. 
You hear that, you guys? And you, and you, you know, it's like innovation is born out of all of that, right? Yes. You know, we were talking about how the business started. In the computer business, there was a moment in time when Bill Gates was figuring out his thing and Steve Jobs was figuring out his thing. Right. Michael Dell was figuring out his thing. Right. And all these people all over the country were doing the same thing and they were on to something that was about to happen. And that's where I was with the jewelry business. Yes. Those were the years where it was just starting to happen. So it was me and a dozen other people across the country who were like pioneering this idea of there being branded jewelry and designer, uh, making more designer products. Right. You know, it's very interesting today. The two wealthiest companies in the world, if I'm not wrong, is like Apple and LVMH. So you've got like a pure luxury brand company and then you've got a, Function, pure tech, uh, exactly. Needs, modern needs. uh, Yeah, and and it really fits in. It really has as much, it has as much uh, demand as technology. And what's funny when you say that, I just thought about this, a phone is so luxury. I mean, think about 77. Can you imagine spending a thousand bucks on a phone that you carried around? People didn't spend a thousand bucks on much of anything. You know what I mean? Uh, It's a family vacation, like, you know, so it's so interesting. Now we carry around thousand dollar things in our hands and we, you know, it's just so crazy. One of the things that's happening is, is right. Technology looks more like jewelry today. Yeah. than jewelry looks like technology. Right. And so this is, I, this is what else I see converging and something else that we, I saw early, you know, People are going to wear their technology until yep. it gets embedded. It's a natural place to have uh, jewelry design come in and make it day-to-day wearable. I'm holding up right now my smart caviar Apple Watch band with my Apple Watch. And I'm having this epiphany because you could not make this Apple Watch and they could not make this watch band that you made. And it's quite, and you know what scratched is my Apple watch is scratched, not my band because I am so active in this watch. I wear it dressed up to dinner and you make my Apple watch look cool. I don't even charge it to be honest. I just wear it because it's gorgeous. And then I wear it out hiking and running and doing stuff with this very same band on it. So you've taken fine jewelry and luxury and you've mixed it with function. And that's what separates you from the rest, Stephen, is, is that you start from 77. This is what makes you an exceptional entrepreneur, an exceptional businessman. Not just take, just take away your creative genius right now for a second and the fact that you're so artistic and amazing, but you've had the... I wherewithal to look at the world and watch the change and pivot with the change and not let your ego get the best of you. You know, these are all, and be methodical in your strategies and take your failures and turn them into lessons and turn them into successes. So everybody that's listening out here, that's an entrepreneur. Those are the, those are the pillars Those are the pillars. You can never stay the same. You have to change and evolve. You've got to make mistakes. You know, you got to try to design the watch and realize it's the band, you know? So what would you, what advice would you give a young entrepreneur today, Stephen? There's a couple of things. We struggled with the business. I mean, we've had our very highs and our very lows over a 45 year period. During the very lows, you know, I say very low. There's people who have very low 
experience. Yeah. This was the business struggling, you know? We've always managed to pay our bills. We've always managed to get through everything. But when you're considering filing for bankruptcy and you're going through the motions to talk about it. Deeply painful. You know, nothing can be more stressful, you know? Yeah. Uh, but we were able to avoid all of that. But I will tell you one of the things that's the cornerstone of the business. We're a people organization, so it's always been about the people. And we're a product organization. And so it's always been about the product. And in 45 years, I'll be happy to say that I don't think we've ever been unfair with our people. No matter how hard we were struggling, we were always very upfront and honest and tried to be elegant. Transparent. We we dealt with all of it. What's that? Yeah, transparent. Yeah, transparency and management is everything. Communication is so important, especially now in today's world. It's just so important to know you never know what's going on with someone else. You never know, you know, like you just never know. So it is really important. This truth will set you free to be honest. There's no question. I live my whole life that way. You know what I mean? You may not like it, but this is the way that it is. And guess what? I don't, I don't have an honesty. I don't have to overdo it either. You know what I mean? I need to make sure people know what they need to know. Yeah. You're going to be methodical and strategic. You're going to be the boss that you are and you're going to lead the ship and you're going to let them know what they need to know when they need to know it. I take responsibility for all of this. I take responsibility for those people. I'm responsible for what happens. I'm not a blamer. So that's one of the things I never play the blame game. That's one of my, that is the sign of a great leader. Everybody. Did you hear what he said? That's that is, I never play gotcha. Those are my two rules. I don't play the blame game and I don't play gotcha because it doesn't matter. If something happens in the moment, I'll call you out, but I'm not going to set you up so I can show you, you know, none of those things make any sense to me. The other thing is, so that's one thing. I always think that the people are always the most important thing. And no yes. matter how hard you're struggling, you've got to rise above it for your people. It doesn't mean they can't struggle with you, but that's it right. means that you take out your struggle on them. That's right. That's- you tell them what you're going through. Do you want to be on the front line with me? Do you need to retreat? Yeah, I not- understand. Absolutely. And then, and recognize that we're all in it together. The second thing is, the product never suffered. I don't have a year where it's like, oh, we made that that year. You know, we had a disastrous year. The production was bad. Our quality right. was poor. I've never had poor quality. Those two things are the things that you can keep relying on. That's what builds a history, right? That's what our brand has now. It has a history. And I think if you're a, a young entrepreneur, right, the goal is to have a history. <laughs> that means you're successful and you've been able to keep doing what you're doing. There's an exploration. You got to find your voice. You got to find what your unique offer is. I think in every business today, the companies that just like do one thing really, really well are the ones that are super successful. When you're young and getting started, it's so easy to fill your plate with way more than you can eat. You know, you want to be lean and mean. You know, you want to be smart and lean and mean and an expert at something. Um, I think that's the other part. You don't fake it till you make it. It's not even a... I don't like that motto. I never really, I, I mean, I just, I just ask the questions like, don't, you know what I mean? I mean, I get it, but just, I just never really, that was never one that I like stood behind, like, and shouted. It's a product that people live with. They yeah. wear it. They use it. You can't fake that. 
No, you know, maybe you can't fake maybe, that. Maybe and it's functional. Not. I mean, so I it, like, I love your magnetic class. So I love your class. It's one of my favorite parts. I love your magnetic class. So I love everything. I just want everybody that's listening. Cause I've had a lot of questions about entrepreneurism and I want you guys to just understand that it is a full plate, right? It's a great product. It's pivoting. It's your people. It's a brand ethos. That is a family of people coming together. As Stephen would say, to deliver a phenomenal product and experience. That's what you have to really always set out to do. That has to be your goal in whatever you do in life, really. You know what I mean? Like do your best and know that you're not going to show up every day a hundred percent. There's going to be days where it's 50, you know, there's going to be days that it's not your day. And there's going to be days that it is so your day. And the New York times is talking about you and things are amazing. So we have to have the ups and downs. We have to have the balances. So how do you Steven through all of this, aside from delivering amazing family experience that I'm going to give and pass down to my daughter and people coming together. What do you do for Steven Lagos? Because I know travel is a big part of your inspiration for your design. And, and you guys just please go to lagos.com, check out his collections because you really can see how there's a signature, but there is identity in each one. So you, you can see, like you could tell it's a Lagos, just like you said, you could tell it's a Van Gogh. I love that. It's all the, I've compared a million brands, Stephen, in my design world. I have never once used that analogy. And now I'm going to steal it from you because I always talk about big brands like Coke or Xerox, or I never talk about art when I talk about it. I'm going to do that from now on. So thank you for that. But how do you find your freedoms? And you, know, you can answer that after you were going to say what you were going to say. <laughs> I know. I was going to say the, uh, the art is definitely one. Music's the same thing too, though, right? Yeah. Like really great, the, the really Artists. great musicians that live on. I mean, again, I'll, I'll just throw it into another arena, like sports. Michael Jordan, boom. You got the picture? You just, you just saw it, right? It, it's so powerful. And of all the amazing athletes in the world, there's really not many. I think there's like maybe one or two that have actually crossed into another sport and been successful. You got to own what you own. And and then the brand that he's created, you know what I mean? And it's because of his unique style that he just came, kept coming back to. It wasn't because he was a hundred things. It was because he was one thing. Because he figured out who he was actually. And that's what you did. Like you said, at the beginning, like you took inspirations, you experiments, you evolved until you became you. So you guys don't think it's going to happen overnight. Steven didn't figure out like, Oh, I know exactly what Steven Lagos is going to look like, be like, feel like walk, like talk, like it's still evolving to this day. He's ever evolving, ever innovating, ever changing. So don't think it's going to stay the same, but when you're, not doing all those things how you finding your freedoms and how do you enjoy life and what do you do to get out there and what is steven lagos tell us a little bit about the man <laughs> yeah, you know you know i like to make things i like to have projects i'm a real project guy so i've done a lot of building in my days building um interior d- design yeah um i like doing the physical work you know so i grew up again I, i'll do um I'll rough it out. I'll do the drywall. I'll do the electric. I'll do the plumbing. And I oh, just wow. Love oh, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, had a house that was from the 1700s in Philadelphia. That I did a complete historic restoration on myself. He and is a jack of all trades, master of fine jewelry. Hello. <laughs> yeah, more of a hack. But I like, <laughs> I like doing things like that. When I was young, I worked on cars. You know, I always liked the way seeing how things work. And so I like innovating. 
Um, and so I'm just curious. I think probably that would be the best way to describe it. I like to find things that I find curious, and then I like to learn about them. And uh, so, I you know, love Google's that. The greatest oh my God. Google's In the 50 greatest interviews, no one have ever has ever said to me that curiosity is their freedom. Discovery is their freedom. Thank you for that blessing, Stephen Lagos. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, for those people who don't know Stephen Lagos, like I do, and his jewelry, um, can you let them know where they can find you to learn more about you and lean in? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's my Lagos, my way. It's Lagos.com. L-A-G-O-S dot com. Very easy. We're also at Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, and about 175 independent jewelers across the country. Yeah. Instagram, Lagos uh, Jewelry. It's beautiful. You can really see what he's all about. And I'm definitely going to have you back. I want to do some fun entrepreneur stuff with you. I feel like we could do some stuff to inspire some young people because you certainly inspire me. So I so appreciate oh. you, Stephen Lagos. You're in my heart. Thank you so much for being with me. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and download wherever you find your favorite podcast. We'll be there. Thanks so much. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.